I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on sports epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Thank you for taking the time. I know you are very selective about the time you take in these kinds of platforms. So I feel super special and honored that you are here with me today. So you are super special. (laughs) So we're about to get nerdy right now. Oh yeah. Because I know you can. So you are, and I have to read this, a nutrigenomics specialist in professional athletics. Yes. What does that mean exactly? Let's break that down. Yes. So, okay. You know, genetics, people know genetics and they tend to think of medicine and medical genetics when, when they think of genetics. But a lot of those pathways that deal with how we absorb certain medications and how we would treat cancer, use cancer therapies, they all use these metabolic pathways. And some of those pathways are the same ones that deal with vitamin A absorption or vitamin B12 or how we process through complex carbohydrates, proteins, fats. And so nutrigenetics is specifically focusing on nutrition and how our genetics plays into the absorptive pathways, the transporting pathways of all of those nutrients. And my job is to take a person's DNA, look and see what variants they've inherited from mom and dad. Some are amazing gifts and some are really shitty cards that you got dealt. Excuse me for swearing. And what we do is we build a plan, whether that's food or strength and conditioning, because we can also look at how your muscles were built, how your joints function. All of that is genetically based. So we build plans around that. And I do that specifically for professional athletes. Wow. That's awesome. It's fun. I'm sure. And I'm sure the science of it, as it translates into the practical way that that can help an athlete perform at their highest from their genetics is very interesting. Give us an example of how you actually assess their genes and what you might find and what would be an example of a plan. Yeah. So let me give you some easy ones first, and then I'll talk about some complex ones. So two easy ones that are related to diet and nutrition are both gluten and lactose. Those are ones people know. You're lactose intolerant or you're not. (laughs) You have as gluten sensitivity or potentially celiac disease or you don't. Those are genetically driven. So you need efficiently working genetic pathways around those. You need to be able to make those enzymes, which is driven by genes, in order to digest gluten, in order to digest lactose. Most people know early on if they're lactose intolerant. (laughs) 
or if they're gluten sensitive or they've done diet experimentation, but I can just know by looking at their genes. And so for an athlete, it's very important to keep in as many food groups as we can. So I don't want an athlete eliminating something that could be potentially awesome nutrition if they don't have to. And then also on the flip side, even if they're not symptomatic, but I'm looking at them and they're lactose intolerant, we're going to remove lactose because we don't want any low-grade chronic inflammation, even if it's in the gut. For an athlete and just for longevity for all of us, right? Inflammation is like the worst. So we want to get rid of any inflammation. So I'm either removing or telling them it's okay to add back in lactose or gluten. So those are two kind of easy ones that people can grasp pretty well. Ashley, though, how do you determine from the genetic standpoint that someone might have a sensitivity to either gluten or lactose? Like, what's the process? Do you give them a questionnaire? Do you test their blood? Like, what's that process? Good question. So with genetics, you need to look at the DNA. And almost every cell in our body has DNA in it, with the exception of the red blood cells. Weirdly enough, you always watch those crime shows and they're doing blood (laughs) for DNA. It's actually the white cells in the plasma that they're getting the DNA from, not the red blood cell. Red blood cells are busy carrying oxygen. They don't carry the DNA. So the easiest way to get DNA is from the mouth. Cheek swab, it's not invasive. So you can either spit into a tube, which gets those cheek cells in there, or you can take a little Q-tip and rub it on the inside of your cheeks. So that is the cells that we send out to the lab and they sequence your genome. So that's where I get this big raw data file back. And there's a gene location, and then they give me two variants, one from mom and one from dad. And those are letters, A, C, T, or G, if you go back way back into high school, biochem or whatever. And I get a big raw text file, a big RS number, which is a gene location, and then what two variants they've inherited. So genetic studies will look at specific locations on genes, And then they'll look at what's the most common working variant that they're supposed to have here. Is it two A's? Is it two T's? And I get to see, oh, they have an A and a T here, or they have a T and a C here. And so when I see that variant that's not working so efficiently, I know, okay, this person is lactose intolerant. So the lactose intolerance gene is called MCM6. The genes are all named after enzymes and geeky stuff. And gluten and celiac disease is actually a more complicated one. That is a five-gene algorithm, two really dominant genes. And so depending on kind of a combination of what variants you inherited on all five of those genes for celiac disease, I can predict who's going to either potentially who has underlying celiac disease that they don't know about or who can clearly digest gluten. Wow. Wow. Nerd central here. Yeah, exactly. I was like, we are nerding out big time right now. Okay. Tell me the complicated one. And I have lots and lots of questions, but you said you were going to do like sort of a simple one and a complicated one. I want to hear the complicated one. Yes. Okay. So a fun complicated one for athletes is something like injury. So there's a lot of genes and this is called a polygenic approach. It's not just looking at one gene and one outcome. It's looking at all these different genes and all the different variants and putting that into an algorithm and figuring out, it spits out, okay, what does that mean for the body? All of these things. So That's what's important in nutritional genetics is looking at a bunch of different things together. Some are very simple, like lactose intolerance. It's one gene and one outcome. But most of them are more complex. So let's say somebody has the risk variance around something like joint injury, 
And that's the big joints, the shoulders, the hips, the knees. What if they also have something to do with delayed onset muscle soreness or muscle damage? So I would take that person and I would say, all right, red lights on all of these. You're a professional athlete. So clearly you've done well despite these genetic risks. But for you, Olympic style lifting, not good. For you, back to back lifting days, not good. Big joint injuries and certain athletes aren't doing much strength training. But the best way to avoid a big joint injury is actually to strengthen the muscles around that joint to protect that joint. So I'm actually saying, okay, the once a week strength training optional thing that your team is saying for your sport, no, you need to be strength training three times a week, whether it's light, not necessarily heavy, and you need to be focusing on the calf and the hamstring and the glute just around those big joints. So it'll drive what their strength and conditioning regimen actually should look like. And I don't design that. I basically translate this genetic information say, this is what it means. And then I hand that to the strength and conditioning coach and the athletic trainer. And I say, this would be ideal. They need really two days between strength sets. They're going to be more sore naturally, genetically. They need to work on strengthening the joints or same thing with endurance. My gold medalist Olympic swimmer is one of the only athletes I've ever had with super rare, incredible genetics around endurance. It's very rare and I don't see it in any of my power athletes. And sure enough, she showed up and I was like, this is a gift and you figured it out early. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I'm getting my mind around all of it because there's so many implications. Yes. So that would be a more complex one that I have to kind of piece together. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. But fun. Very fun. Yeah. I'm never bored. (laughs) (laughs) And so rewarding, I'm sure, to know that all this science and your knowledge can help a professional athlete perform at their best and know what their formula is, so to speak, about how to keep that up. So when you know all this stuff, how do you then put together, a? I don't know if I'm saying it right, like a meal plan or the way that they eat to support their natural genetics to be able to perform the best and prevent injury and put together the most custom training program for them? Yeah. So when you really think about it, nutrition is fairly simple. You want to eat a balance and a variety of foods in moderation. You want to eat your colors and it's kind of boring, fruits and vegetables. I mean, when you really think about it, we all kind of know what to do, but all of these different diets out there, they give specifics, which is very motivating. So I'm not only giving specifics, but I'm giving specifics to you, your biochemistry. So the behavior change and the motivation to actually follow through is huge. It's a tool that I have that not other dietitians have that don't kind of have some of these little windows into the individual person. And then when you look at the breakdown of different diets, like let's use a ketogenic, for example, because that's really hot right now. And it's an extreme diet. So it's 60 to 80% fat. That's a ketogenic diet. You're eating 60 to 80% of your calories are coming from fat. Now, a lot of athletes actually will come to me and they've been exploring this or doing this before they worked with me. Well, there's genetics around who is going to experience damage to the cardiovascular system with high amounts of saturated fat. In keto, a bulletproof coffee, one of those things. Have you heard of those? I don't drink coffee, so I don't know. But I I think it sounds familiar, but yeah. Your listeners will know. They'll have heard of it. It's where you put butter in your coffee or MCT oil or ghee. I know. 
Oh coconut oil. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's a part of a ketogenic diet. So okay. that can have up to 55 grams of saturated fat in it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And if you are somebody that doesn't process through saturated fat efficiently and actually has a risk cardiovascularly to high saturated fat, you cannot be on a diet like that. It's going to hurt you long term. Some people can get away with it. And you know those people. You know the 90-year-old dude who eats bacon every day and smokes. You know that guy. Yes. Yes, I do. But I can tell from genetics who's going to be able to process through things like fats, proteins, carbohydrates. So I can can adjust the macronutrients. So 40% carb, 50% carb, 30% fat, 40% fat. I can adjust those. And when you were dealing with an athlete, Little tiny changes is what we're looking for because we want an extra second, an extra point something seconds. Exactly. And lowering the inflammation. So that's a big picture part of the diet. But then also looking at the, the vitamin and mineral pathways, I can tell if you're not processing or you're predicted based on your genes are predictive, not prescriptive. Mm. It's not saying you're going to have a deficiency. It's predicting that you might if you don't eat a lot of these foods. So let's say... They have some risk variants around selenium, phosphorus, B12, glutathione. Those are all found in animal proteins. Is that person a good candidate to be a vegan? No. Others, somebody else might be. And veganism was a huge, or is kind of a huge movement in the athlete world. Do you have very many athletes that have said that they're vegan or yeah. cutting out a lot of animal proteins? Yeah. And it's not strangely, but from my perspective, it's like the football players. It's like the power people who are actually doing that. So yeah, I do. And they're looking to gain an edge. They're looking to be healthy. Like the motivations are good, but everybody's different. And so your friend who is thriving on that diet and then you try it and it's just, you don't like it. There's reasons for that. And so genetics is helping me understand that. And then also there's specific pathways like vitamin A that are really rich in the red, orange, and yellow vegetable category. So for that person, I'm saying red, orange, and yellow on the daily. Bell peppers are your jam all the time. And if you don't like those, we have to find foods in those color groups that you have. And so it goes beyond eat your colors, eat a rainbow. Everybody knows that. But when I'm telling you your vitamin A pathway is on the struggle bus, and you need these colors every day. They're like, oh, okay, awesome. And then they always think about that when they when they fill their grocery cart. Oh my God. I mean, how empowering is that? To have that information, to know that the choices you make are actually helping you at such deep levels to be just a healthier human and then perform, like you said, just that much faster or that much more or that much quicker or whatever it is they're trying to do in their particular sport. is It's almost like a magic pill, but it's not. It's a lot of work for them. Like getting all this information, I give you all the information. I give you all the outline. Here's the parameters. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what you need to do. And then they have to put it into action. So my work is very like next level. And my athletes, I kind of prep them when they're like, oh, that sounds so cool. I want to work with you. I was like, I'm like, okay, hold up. Yeah. (laughs) You got to be willing to sit on a two hour genetics review call with me. So you can't farm me out to your agent. You can't farm me out to your athletic trainer. No. You're going to be talking with me. You're going to be learning about yourself. And then you're going to be doing this actively. I want you to learn how to make some of this recipe stuff. Now, I do work with chefs. I do design the programs for the chef. But I want them to understand why they're eating this way. And if they're not going to be really involved or interested, I'm like, I'm just not the person for you. Because you have to want to really empower yourself. And 
I talk a lot about longevity. Like you have a life and a body beyond your sport. Yes. And you want to be able to function. And we got to avoid all this heart and cardiovascular stuff for when it hits you hit your 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it's funny when I talk to a 22-year-old about their 50s and 60s, they're just like, what? I'm like, yeah, that work starts now. Yeah, totally. But when you find someone, an athlete who is motivated, I mean, they apply this program like any other program. They're athletes, they're motivated, they want to. They just need to have the information. I mean, do you find that athletes that have a quote unquote buy-in really can thrive with it and do really well? A hundred percent. And my two public athletes are probably the two best examples of that. So Sue Bird and Megan Rapino, they are badass chicks and they came to me four-ish, four-ish, five-ish years ago. You know, they're in their thirties. They've excelled in their sport, of course. They were doing amazing things before our work together. But they reached the point where it's like, we got to turn something on here. We got to go next level if we want to be able to play another two, three, four years. And Sue is now 41. Yeah. She's not a spring chicken anymore. And she's still rocking it. She has a WNBA championship in her 39 years old. And so they really started taking their diet seriously. We made a bunch of changes. We did their genetics. We did their blood work. I've monitored them on their blood work very, very closely. So I'm texting and prescribing a bell pepper and a strawberry and a Brazil nut once a day. <laughs> like, because of, there's like a, there's a little bit of a sore hammy back here. And so I'm like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change your supplement regimen. And then we're going to add this in. And they just think I'm nuts. So yes, Sue and Megan are, are amazing examples. And so after our work together, we overcame some injury issues and some chronic things. There was a surgery in there for Sue. And so we were doing pre and post surgery protocols. And a lot of people don't think about before you go into surgery, how your nutrition has to change. Right. Before, during, and after. And that's not only food, but supplement regimens are really, really important. And I talk about supplements and use supplements a lot because athletes just blow through their nutrition really fast. It's very Uh hard for an athlete to eat all whole foods Uh and to not still be depleted. Yeah. Fish oil is like one that's like almost every athlete is on high dose fish oil because it's almost like they can't eat enough fish to to compensate for that anti-inflammatory effect. And then Megan, same thing. She was less serious about her nutrition her whole career than Sue was. Sue was doing pretty good. And then they got together. So I got to meet them when they first started dating. <laughs> now they're engaged. I know. I was just going to ask you, like the fact that they're in the same household now, I bet their regiments aren't the same. They're very similar, which is easy. But the things that are off, they just adopted the other ones. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. I don't have married couples very often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I do, we have to negotiate it down. But Megan showed a real change. So you knew them each before they got together, Ashley? I met them at the, right when they started dating. Oh, yeah. that's an and awesome so, story. You know, sharing the kitchen wasn't how we started. <laughs> the, then they moved into sharing a kitchen. And then it's yes. like, then we got to re-talk about how this Exactly. Looks. I can only imagine. Megan, you know, was stellar in the World Cup that year. I mean, the 2019 World Cup, female World Cup, I had players on four different country teams. Wow. In that tournament. That is so cool. So I was happy for so many women. Yes. Yes, I'm sure. 
but there are two that can continue to play. Physiologically, they are cleared for with me. They are optimized. They're doing great. So it's just a matter of when they want to retire, which is like to have that option and not have it be a physical retirement. Exactly. It's huge. Oh, it's so huge. It's so huge. It's on their terms. Yes. Which is, again, super empowering. And they feel like they have control over their future. How do you find when you're able to take care of these high-performing professional athletes from this physical perspective? You and I were both holistic practitioners. Like, How do you feel or how have you seen it impact their emotional state, their mental health, their overall outlook from that perspective? How have you seen that improve? Well, it's in my initial paperwork how important a sports psychologist is. If they don't already have one, I have lovely people that I can refer them to. And it is a very important part of this whole journey and this whole process. So I start there. And I start by just having the conversation about mental health and having the conversation about how much of an impact this many years in a career can have. Because this starts in adolescence. Uh And this focus and this drive and this push and oftentimes push for perfection. And so my previous work was in disordered eating. I worked for eight years within eating disorders. So that was a blessing because I get to pick up on them with athletes, which is actually way more common than people think. And I also learned the importance of therapy, of counseling, of mental health, of recovery. And I make that a huge part of the discussion. So you can do all this physiology with me. But if we're not also making mental health and the psychological aspect just as important, we're not capitalizing on this as much as we could. Mm. So I do see stress and I do see a lot of guilt and shame and being so hard on themselves around injuries or around playing time or around performance. Mental health is huge. And there's actually a lot of genetics around our neurochemistry and our neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. And so I can see some of that. So I can see that COMT is a gene that has to do with the clearance of dopamine in the brain. And so some people clear it very fast and they tend to be dopamine seekers. And some people clear it very slowly and they tend to be more prone to anxiety or things like OCD or ADHD, where they're just flooded with dopamine like for too long almost. So that's one that I can kind of see in the report. And we, we talk about that and we talk about, do you experience anxiety? Have you experienced depression in the past? And what's worked for you? What hasn't? Have you addressed that? Because even if they haven't had a life event that's triggered something like that, life is complex. and things happen in life. So it's good to be prepared and know yourself and know there are tools out there for when a curveball comes, what are we going to do then? And what's just part of your natural neurochemistry? And what's something that we can be aware of and do for that? So, And there's also really fun genes around things like leadership, around mathematical capabilities, music, addiction. So these are all like being studied and being more honed in as we go. But there's a lot of really good evidence out there already that we can kind of see from the beginning how we're designed a little bit. So interesting. I love it. I love it. 
This is like, I feel like I'm getting like a, a master class in all of this <laughs> right now. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, if we talk about all of these professional athletes that are now coming out talking about their mental health, do you feel that, yes, we could recommend therapy or sport performance consulting? Do you feel like that it's really important to include your nutrition and how it impacts your mental health? And like you said, your disposition towards maybe anxiety or depression and that foods, the things that you eat can actually help you manage stressors. I mean, would you say that? Yes, 100%. And the gut and the brain are tied so closely together. They communicate very closely. So if your gut is out of whack, your brain's not going to be functioning as well as it could be. And that includes things like anxiety and depression. And so if you have a crappy diet and you don't feel well mentally, there's a correlation there. So anybody that struggles with anxiety, depression, any mental health issues has to look at their diet. It has to be a variable. Now, first of all, we got to get them stabilized, Lisa. That's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got to get them to a good spot. But next step is what are you putting in your body? Because Uh there's a lot of things we can do here that can help the brain and the gut and help all of this work harmoniously. Now, depending on where they're at mental health wise, my work would be overwhelming. Uh huh. I can see that. They might not be ready for this kind. So once they have a really good baseline of nutrition, that's when I come in. Yes. I'm coming for like level 2.0, you know, but a really good sports nutritionist or dietitian, which most teams have access to really good baseline. So a lot of mental health providers are talking about food now and I love it. I love it because you guys can do so much just to get them started. Are you eating a variety of foods? Are you eating any antioxidants? Are you eating any seafood at all? Because that's where a lot of the omega-3s are. What about nuts and seeds? How are you cooking? How often are you eating out? There's so much that all the providers and all the practitioners out there can start to have the conversation about. And then once there's this stability, there's this baseline knowledge, then it's like, okay, let's take this to the next level. Let's maintain our mental health. Or if it's somebody that's you know, had a good history and a good past of stability, but then they're just in a dip, nutrition can actually kind of help pull them out of it. And I think a really good public example and somebody that I love and know dearly this past year that showed the world it was okay and showed the world the psychological impact of something physical is Simone Manuel. Mm. She's an Olympic swimmer. Mm -hmm. She has broken world and American records, Olympic records. She was the first Black female to break an Olympic record and an American record in one race. I saw that race too. I was so proud. Yes. She ran into overtraining syndrome and her body just screamed at her, yelled at her. And that's when I came in and she ended up qualifying for Tokyo in the 50, not the 100, not the one she held the records in. And people were devastated and she was devastated. But you may have seen her emotional breakdown after that in the interviews. And she talked about her mental health. She talked about her therapist. She talked about things that previously 
athletes didn't talk about. And I'm so freaking proud of her. She is taking rest and recovery seriously. She's really focusing on her mental health and what her whole life has been swimming. And a lot of these athletes that you're working with too, their whole life, their whole identity is athletics. What do you do when that stops for a second? When you're not competing because you're you're basically on rest for three months or three weeks? Or what do you do? And so that's when I'm like, you need a Lisa in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, Simone Manuel. Wow. I love that. I mean, I think about to the minimal science and genetics that I know about that there are different challenges or situations that people can have across races that are only specific to their race. So how did you integrate that as Simone Manuel being a African-American woman, again, in an underrepresented, non-traditional sport for Black people, much less Black women? How did you discover that and like integrate it? Like that doesn't mean all black people have like sickle cell anemia or all black people have certain things, but there's a disposition, like you said, right? Or like a, I'm not going to use the right science words, but like, how do you integrate that, that whole sort of ethnicity race piece into the genetic understanding? Yes. Well, you can't talk about genetics without talking about race and talking about where we came from and talking about genetic adaptation over time. And looking way, 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 way back because there's signals along the way that have been written into our DNA that have been translated through generations. And so when I look at somebody's DNA, there's a whole other specialty in ancestry DNA, which is so fun. Have you ever done an ancestry Hmm. test? No, but I'm tempted to because I've seen it. Yeah, I would love to. It's so fun. I'm so British and Irish. I'm so like, I'm just, you know... (laughs) I am very Caucasian. Yep. Well, you are who you are. You're your genes, right? I am who I am. This is who I am. But you can see a background of where people come and how the mix and the storyline. And so one of those has to do with lactose intolerance. And so anybody that has any African ancestry that's significant percentage in their background, they're lactose intolerant. I mean, I can like just bam, 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 pick through a room. Because we can go back to and see that cows are not indigenous to Africa as to many other countries, right? Originally, we didn't need to digest lactose past a certain point. So mother's milk has lactose in it. So this gene that allows you to make lactase to digest lactose is turned on. And then at a certain age, it flips off because we don't need it anymore. When you look at the genetic adaptation that had to happen, especially in Northern Europeans, so they began dairying. When you think about famine, when you think about raising cows and you think about cheese making and milking and that all of a sudden hit our diets like out of nowhere. And it was so consistent and for so long that it was a genetic adaptation that happened. That gene is flipped on and keeps turned on in most people with Northern European ancestry. So the people that are lactose tolerant are actually the minority of the world. Hmm. The most world is lactose intolerant. But if you have a lot of Northern European ancestry, you almost always can digest lactose throughout your whole life. So you have to be able to look at and have conversations about race and where we came from. And it's really fun to have those conversations. And some of them are also very hard conversations looking back at where somebody came from. And there's a lot of realities that are not very fun when you think about 
Norwegian ancestry and Icelandic ancestry. They're Irish, aren't they? How did that happen? So there's a lot of really interesting conversations that come up with genetics and it's just so personal. So yes, it's personal with like biochem and nerding out and physiologically, but then there's also a big psychological component to knowing your genetics. Yes, absolutely. Oh my God, so amazing. It is a privilege to be able to speak with you because you work in the space of professional athletes. Is there any gem or knowledge piece that you could drop for a non-professional athlete who might be listening or a parent or a coach about how to best address their nutrition to be just the most highest functioning human on and off the field? Yes. So gut health is super, super important. And inflammation is what we want to avoid. So in general, if you start with basic things like fiber, so how much vegetables, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, the ones that are super sulfur rich and a lot of people don't like, how often are you actually eating those? Because adding those in just on a weekly basis can make a huge difference. Whole grains, switching from white to whole wheat and finding a whole, the word whole is important when you're buying things whole. It's not multi-grain, not seven grain, whole. Whole is the key actually makes a big difference. And young athletes don't think it does because they're getting carbohydrates regardless, right? So they're looking at the actual fuel. Yes, the fuel is the same, whether it's white spaghetti or whole wheat spaghetti or white bread or whole wheat bread. But the actual grain, the actual micronutrients, much different, the fiber, much different. And then also seafood. Seafood is so huge. I really think... If I had to pick the healthiest diet in the world, I would say it's a pescatarian diet. That's what I am. Really? I'm doing it right. Woo, woo. Ashley said so. I mean, yes. I mean, you eat fish often as an animal protein. It's super anti-inflammatory and it has so many trace minerals in there that we do not get from other foods. I mean, you're doing it right, girl. Yay. And so young... Athletes trying to find high quality sources of fish and shellfish is really hard. And so that's why fish oil is also something that's worth supplementing. And like there's really high quality brands over the counter that you can find, but fish oil, fiber, and then colors, antioxidants, you are beating your body up every single day. And that's the point to beat down the muscles a little bit so that they can rebuild. That's the whole point of training. But you're blowing through your nutrition so fast you got to eat your vegetables and you got to eat your colors. So basic off the bat, it's seafood, colors, and then fiber. Those three things will make a huge difference. And nutrition doesn't change overnight. You're not going to feel a difference the same week. But like over two or three months of just incorporating them in, even on a weekly basis, huge difference, injury avoidance, more energy, better sleep, basic. Oh my God. Thank you again. Another masterclass within a masterclass. <laughs> I mean, you are impressive. You just a bundle of knowledge. I again, so appreciate you being here with us. Is there anything else that you would want to? I've been asking all the questions. Is there anything that you would want to make sure that you leave us with, that you add, that you contribute? I can't even imagine more than you already have, but if there's anything on your heart, <laughs> we would love to hear it. Well, I would just say, To anyone listening, if this is the first time you've heard of a job like this, like my job, 
I had to build my way here. There's no like degree in this because it's not popular enough. It's not normal mainstream enough. So nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics, you really have to seek out webinars or online classes or different things that you can do to learn about that. But I need help up here. I am overflowing with clients that want this. So if you have ever not known what you want to do and this is like fascinating to you, like, please join me. People come up here. Like, I would love to help you kind of build a roadmap or an ex-athlete. If this is something you're thinking about, you would love to do post-athletics. Like, I just think we need more people doing what I do and there's a huge demand for it. And we're really early on. So I'm a very early adopter in this type of a science, but it's only going to get better from here. So if there's athletes listening, people listening, this is a fascinating field that needs people. And also if you're a provider and a practitioner listening, collaboration is key. I can't do my job without people like you. And just to know that there's somebody out there like me who we can chat like this, like I think not even in an official capacity, in an informal capacity, like let's chat, let's learn from each other, let's absorb, let's know what's out there and just keep your mind open because science is getting so much better so fast. And it's only going to get like, you think this stuff is specific? Just wait. (laughs) It's going to be mind-blowing what's coming next. So I just think collaboration and knowing that this field is out there is like a point that I just want to leave with people because I need some help. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. No, I think you are an influencer. You're a stakeholder in this area. You're helping professional athletes, which is my purpose and heart. So I look forward to our further collaboration and just like, yeah, take Ashley up on this. You've already heard a sense of who she is. She's ready to mentor and bring you guys along. It's so fascinating. If I had like another 18 hours a day, I would be one of those people. Let me learn this too. I can add this to everything. I know. It's so interesting. So take Ashley up on it, please. You'll have her contact information and all the notes that Eric's going to prepare for us on this interview. So I'm just so, again, grateful and feel really honored and super, super special to have shared time with you today. And I just really appreciate who you are as a person, as a woman, and just thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. It is my pleasure. One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.